So let's talk about it together. If you're able, why don't you stand? And I'm going to read one of those grand Old Testament visions of which the prophets paint us some beautiful um, pictures of, um, of, of the work that God's up to. Why is there a Christ church um, in town? It's ultimately, this is the picture of, uh, of where the world is going. So we're in Micah, the prophet Micah chapter four, reading the first seven verses. Hear the word of God. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it Many nations will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and nation will no more lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they will sit every man under his vine and under his tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Now in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and I will gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted and the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. This is the very word of God. Amen. Be seated, please. So here's the question tonight. What's, uh, what's your mission? What's your mission? Every church has a mission. Every person has a mission, but you may not be able to identify it. It'd be interesting if I said, take out a piece of paper right now and in one sentence, write your mission uh, on that piece of paper. Would you, would you have it so much at the forefront of your thinking that you'd be, you could do that right away because you have a mission. You're missional. Every day you get up and you go out, you go out to accomplish your mission. So the challenge isn't to have a mission. The challenge is really to ask, uh, do you have a worthy mission? Is the mission of your life a worthy mission? And my goodness, we've been blessed uh, by people who have had worthy missions. You think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you think of Rosa Parks, you think of Medgar Evers. These are well-known, uh, iconic figures in the civil rights movement who changed our um, nation uh, and, and made our nation healthier in powerful ways. You, but, but, but there's so many others. You know, Fannie Lou Hamer, I bet you've heard of her. Uh, but there's so many others you, you couldn't recall. There's two Floridians you ought to know, two heroes in Florida, Harry and Harrietta Mims. Harry and Harrietta Moore um, in, from Mims, Florida. They were um, leaders of the NAACP fighting for voting rights for African-Americans in the state of Florida. And on Christmas Eve in 1951, their 30th wedding anniversary, the Klan put a bomb under their house, blew up their house and killed them both. It's the only couple both uh, murdered by, uh, by the Klan in civil rights history. Right here in the state of Florida, we all walk in their footsteps. These are great people who have gone before us uh, because they were on mission, willing to give their lives. Worthy mission. That's what I'm talking about. Everybody's on mission. The question is, is it a worthy mission? Because we know a lot of people have trivial missions, right? You ever seen like a, a Star Wars convention? 
Yeah, trivial mission. Um, do you know how many people are sitting here wanting to check their phones to see how their fantasy football team's doing um, today? The amount of time spent in America on fantasy uh, football. There's trivial missions people are investing their life in. There's, um, there's, uh, there, there's uh, destructive missions, right? Listen, people who are in ISIS um, are on mission. And they're willing to sacrifice their lives for um, their mission, but it's a it's a mission that's sowing mayhem all over our um, all over our world. Um, Hugh Hefner was on mission. Planned Parenthood's on uh, on mission. These are destructive um, missions in our culture. And then there's the North American mission. What is the North American mission? The North American mission uh, passion is for lives of affluence. And, uh, and for lives of ease. And that's true of those who go to church in North America, I'm telling you. Because if you visit any church in North America and go sit in on a prayer group and, uh, and listen to the prayer request. Listen, I've, I've done this church gig my whole life. I've been in a lot of uh, uh, prayer meetings and prayer requests. And when you go around in the circle, everybody's prayer request has to do with what? Health, Right? God, this one's sick, that one's sick, restore this one. Maybe it's the well-being of your children. Maybe somebody lost a job. But every prayer request is, is about this passion. God, make my life easier because my mission is about my personal ease. But you know, that's not the way Jesus taught us to pray, is it? He taught us to pray saying what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And, uh, and it's not the way um, our brothers and sisters around the world pray either. They don't pray very often that God would take away suffering and hardship and difficulty. Their prayer is, God be glorified in it. Help me not to cave. Help me to be faithful so that you receive glory uh, by my life. How often in North America do we hear someone raise their hand in a prayer meeting and say, I don't care whether God takes my cancer away or not. What I want to do is, is be faithful in the midst of the cancer so that the kingdom advances. So if my suffering and my cancer brings him glory, then I'm on mission because that's the mission of my life. Um, listen, um, um, churches, marriages, retirees, millennials, they're all languishing for the lack of meaningful mission. But Jesus was on mission, wasn't he? As the Father has sent me, he said, so I what? So send I you. The Father sent me. He sent me on mission. We need missional clarity. On December 7th, 1941, my father lived in uh, northern New Jersey, and he was at a, uh, a minor league. They had minor league football games then. The Newark Bears were playing, and he was in the stadium when the announcement came over um, the loudspeaker that uh, the Empire of Japan had uh, attacked the U.S. naval forces at Pearl Harbor. So what did my father go and do the next day? He did what all the able-bodied young men went and did in his day. He went down to the recruiting station, and, uh, but he couldn't offer himself up for military service because there were so many people there, they couldn't accommodate them all. They gave them all a number and told them to come back sometime in the next um, couple of weeks. But an entire nation was galvanized around a, a clear mission, wasn't it? There was a clear and present danger. Our lives are to be given up for mission, a worthy mission. So what's, what's the mission? You with me? Okay. So we're going to talk first about the mission template. 
What's the mission um, template? What's God doing? What is the mission that God would have us invest with? What, why is there a Christ in town? Why does this church exist? Is it merely for your well-being or is there a mission? What is the mission? And the mission is this, is the mending of the world. This is what God's so passionate about that he would enter the world to accomplish the setting right of what we have messed up. It's the king reasserting his rule over his creation so that it's restored to its original design. That's why Jesus taught us to pray what? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? On earth. earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring heaven down to earth. Transform the earth to what it's intended um, to be. And this is the cry of God's people. So in Micah chapter 4, we read through, it's not that familiar a passage, but in Micah chapter 4 is where we read this template, this picture we're given of what would amended earth look like, okay? So before you can get somewhere, it's good to know where you're going. This is where the Bible says, we're going. So look at it with me real quickly. The first thing it says is that in this mended earth, there'll be delight in God. God will be exalted, worshiped, and adored as God. People will, um, you know, people will stream to him, not grudgingly or reluctantly, with joy. Peoples will, will flow uh, to the mountain of the house of the Lord as the highest of the mountains. Everyone will see God's beauty and his glory and his splendor. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And people will love God. The New Testament, Paul says, nobody seeks God. Nobody turns their face towards God. But, but, in, but in the mended world, people will love him. They'll adore him. They'll delight in him. They'll enjoy him. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll be, they'll, to be identified with God, to be in God's family, It'll be the treasure of treasures. Got it? There's the mended world. We'll delight in God. Secondly, in the mended world, there'll be authentic um, community. There'll be authentic community. Um, people will uh, beat their swords into plowshares. Um, neither shall they learn war anymore, right? We'll delight in each other. No more will there be fighting or, or hostility. Armament will become agricultural implement. There'll be no military academies anymore. There'll be no terrorist training camps, no prisons, no violence, no cruel words, no more guns, no spousal abuse, no custody fights. There'll be no racial supremacy. There'll be no Democrats or Republicans. How about that? Amen. I'll amen that. There'll be no Baptists or Catholics. There'd be no gators or seminoles. Can you imagine a world in which there were no gators or seminoles? I'm a Miami fan. Yeah, that'd be an awesome world. <laughs> no, there'd be no division. It would be sweet. Well, there'd be a sweet family. One sweet family. And in the new world, what does it say? There'll be shalom. That's what it says in verse um, four is that every man will sit under his own vine and under his own tree. It's a picture of of contentment and peace and safety. Everyone will have enough. There'll be no chasm between the rich and the poor. There'll be no hoarding. Everyone will share. No humiliating dependency. Everyone will be gainfully employed. There'll be no disease, no discord, no devil, no death. 
Got the picture? One family of God, peace and uh, community and delight in God. So this is the mission. Mend the earth. No more let sins or sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. A healed, restored, mended earth. No more Ferguson, Missouri. No more lynchings. No more um, Charlottesville. No more. No more fighting. No more broken families. No more marriages where the two families, you know, were the, were the same, you know, with, with all the family tension because of all the divorce and brokenness. No more. No more. No more. This is the mission. Now, I got to tell you something. This sermon moves almost nobody. I, I preach this message. Listen, I know you can sell to sometimes how many podcasts hit you have, or in the days we used to sell the sermons you'd have to church, how many people would buy. I can preach this. If you want to sell sermons, you preach on sex. You preach on dating. You, pre- you can preach about homosexuality. You can preach about stuff that everybody's riled about, everybody wants to um, talk about. I preached on racism once last year. I had to have an armed escort out of the church. There's all kinds of sermons that people get um, interested in and, and fired up about. I preach on this. I'll sell one. Well, well two. My mother will buy one, and, and then she'll buy another one in case she loses the first one. Um, <laughs> Why doesn't this move us? I, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I could stomp around the stage. I could preach with all my heart. I could draw the picture not as beautifully as, as Micah does. And it simply doesn't move North American people. Why? Prosperity. Prosperity. We have too much in our, um, in our country, in our culture. Listen, do you think if you lived in the South Sudan... And, uh, and the Islamic North came down and, uh, and they strafed your village and they, and they burned your home and they killed your parents and they took your sister off as a sexual um, slave and you were marching then with the survivors who had run off into the woods and you were marching um, days and days and weeks to get to a refugee camp where there's no education, there's no government, you have no family, you have no hope, and you have no future. On every day that you're marching there, don't you think if you were a Christian, you'd be saying what? Lord, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. This earth is a hellish place. I've got to have this. I've got to have you to come and mend the earth because I'm not, I, can't, I can't make it here another day longer. And we have moments of it in this world, don't we? We started a, a, a Christian school, and I remember the year we got to adding a high school. This was the biggest challenge, to actually add a high school. How could we afford a high school with all the science labs and band and drama and, and athletic teams? And in the first year of our high school, a young boy in our high school got suspended from school for stealing, and, and the day that he um, was not allowed to come to school, he found his father's gun and he put it to his own head. It's the first year we have a high school. And I still remember my phone ringing and, and, and telling me that and racing to his um, house and the, the helicopter landed there and they were trying to save his life and they, they loaded him onto the helicopter and off they went to Shan's hospital and I grabbed his parents and we put him in the car and we drove that hour and, and 20 minutes to Shan's and 
And when we got there, we went into his bedside. I'll never forget meeting with the surgeon, meeting with his parents. And the surgeon looking at them, so tender, like it's the only patient he ever had in his life. With tears in his eyes, he said to them, your baby, he said, your baby is too broken and we cannot put him back together again. We're going to have to turn off the respirator because I can't fix your baby. It's too bad. It's just done too much damage. I'm so sorry. You know, see, it's in those moments you say, I hate the devil and I hate the brokenness. You know, that same hospital, I got to sit with a, a, a couple who had a newborn baby and the doctor said the baby won't see it through the first night. And I remember sitting with that couple the day that the doctor came and told them, you know what, your baby's broken. But we can put your baby back together again. And God willing, I'm going to give you your baby back. That's what Jesus says about his world. This world is his baby. He made it. He loved it. He intends to fix it. He's going to have his baby well again. You got it? That's the mission. That's the mission. The question is, is it your mission? Okay? That's the mission template. Let's talk together about the timetable. So, all right, all this healing, when does this, this actually go down, right? What's it say in the passage? It says in the very first verse, it shall come to pass in the latter days. In the latter days. When's it, when are the latter days? Well, the New Testament tells us that the latter days begin with the arrival of Jesus. When Jesus walks um, onto the earth, the latter days have begun. When Jesus begins his ministry, the Bible says in Matthew that he went from village to village to village, preaching the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. So everywhere he went, Jesus told them that the king is here now. And the king has come to reclaim what belongs to him and set all things right. Now those are words. But then what did the king do? The Bible says that Jesus healed all their sickness and all their diseases. In other words, the king is here and I'm gonna give you a down payment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you what this means. I've come to bring healing and wholeness and hope. Remember when John the Baptist was about to be executed and flagging in his faith, he sends messengers to Jesus and says, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And you remember what Jesus said? Send back to John, send this message to John. And what was the message? Well, it's, um, it's the blind they see, the lame they walk, the leper is cleansed, the deaf hear, the poor have the gospel preached to them, the king has come, the healing has begun. Got it? So if the healing's begun, how come everyone's not mended? The answer is because we live in the in-between, don't we? It's just like D-Day in World War II. War historians say that once the Allies established a beachhead in, the, in France, that the war in Europe, at least, was effectively over. It was just a matter of time from then. But it wasn't over, right? There was the Battle of the Bulge. There was, uh, there was lots of death and lots of battles and lots of suffering. But that's where we stand today. The kingdom is now and the kingdom is not yet. The, out, the outcome is certain, but there's a lot of battles on the way there. So preachers, people say, preacher, sorry, I don't see it. I just don't see it. I don't see the mending. 
Weren't you here for Hurricane Irma, preacher? I mean, we still got hurricanes blowing things over in this world. We've got terrorism uh, in this world. We have broken families. We've got, uh, we've got you know, um, hardship and suffering. So you're saying that the healing has begun. Sorry, preacher, I don't see it. I'm going to tell you three reasons you might not see it quickly. The first is this. If you attribute all human progress, all progress in this world to human ingenuity, then you won't see it. If you think the world in any way gets better because, by the way, if you watch a lot of cable news, you'll never think anything in the world's getting better. Um, one of the really good things you can do, any Christian in this country, is to turn off Fox or CNN. Um, because it's a cynical um, diet that uh, will deeply affect your heart and your soul. Listen, all over the world, you know, even Christianity, you live in the West, you think Christianity is shrinking in this world, but it's not. The, the, the church is running rampant in places in this world where it's never been. Um, in, uh, in Africa, in Latin America, in Asia, um, Christianity is getting to communities for the first time, and they're being transformed by the gospel. Listen, wherever Christianity has gone for 2,000 years, there has been remarkable cultural change. I mean, from the availability of clean drinking water to electricity, the eradication of disease, transformation in the treatment of, uh, of women and children and the elderly, the end of slavery, um, agricultural, educational advances, uh, I could go on. Um, Christianity is transforming the entire world. One tribe in South America, uh, their, their lifespan was, um, was less than 20 years, the average lifespan, because they all slaughtered each other. They killed each other. When Christianity came into the tribe, now there are people who live 60s and their 70s and their 80s. They have never, ever in their history had anybody lived to be that old. The gospel changes culture. Secondly, you won't see that the change is happening until you experience being mended. You won't believe the mender has come if you're not being mended. But if you're being mended, guess what? Then Christ is already working in the hardest place in the entire world. Your heart, right? And if he's mending your heart, my goodness, there's no, nothing else is quite the challenge that that is, right? So if he's mending you, then you'll believe he can mend anything. I mean, if you're less driven, if you're less self-absorbed, if you're more relational, if you listen better and love better and, and are more generous, then you know the mender has come. One of my mentors used to say, if you see a turtle on a fence post, what do you know? It didn't get there by itself, right? So if you see generosity and kindness and graciousness and gentleness coming out of you, what do you know? That's not because of you. It didn't get there by itself. The mender's at work. And not only that, and particularly pertinent to, here, to this night, is a lot of people don't believe the mending's happening in this world because they've never been in a church where they've seen mending happen. They've never seen the healing work of God take a place in, in the midst of a, a, a church. A church is to be a place where skeptics can come and they see hearts and homes mended. In church, we don't fight. I heard about one church where they... They had a, a, a war because they moved the coffee out of the fellowship hall over next to the sanctuary. And the head deacon objected to that. And, uh, and, um, 
Uh, and then, and then the, when the pastor didn't agree with the head deacon, all the deacons resigned in, uh, in solidarity because they moved the coffee. They moved the coffee into the hallway next to the sanctuary. Sometimes you just have to take a stand. Um, but you know what? We're just not going to fight over silly stuff in church because there's too much mending to do. We're going to be busy with, uh, with mending. You walk out after church and, uh, and, and you grab Dave Abney and said, I really didn't like that song today. I thought it was inappropriate. I hope he just looks at you and says, I'm mending. Sorry, I'm busy mending. <laughs> I haven't got time um, for, this, uh, for, for these silly church uh, squabbles. We don't spend a lot of time in our church differentiating ourselves from the Baptists or the Pentecostals because we need all hands on deck. We need all the families of God uh, to be engaged in mending. We need to pull for all of them. Um, we had the hurricane bearing down on our community, and, and at least for the pastoral staff, I said, we don't evacuate. We don't evacuate. You've got to get your family. You're worried about your family. Get them out of here, but then come back before the storm comes because it's our opportunity to what? To mend. I mean, if the, if the community blows over, then um, I'll never forget... Um, a woman in our church, she was an African-American woman and she had just started coming. I didn't know her that well, but her mother was dying and her mother was a, sort of a matriarch in, in our community. And, um, and her mother's wish was to be buried in the, in the black cemetery. Now, I've been in the community about 20, 25 years at that point. I didn't know there was a black cemetery and apparently a lot of the African-American community didn't either, either because it was overgrown. And there had trees had fallen in and the gravestones had fallen over and you couldn't even find a lot of them. And, and yet people in the church heard that this woman's dying desire was to be buried there with her kin, her people. And they, they uh, raised up a group and they went down there. And I mean, it was a big task. This wasn't like with a few snippers and a, and a, and a, and a, and a bag to put the clippings in. This was like heavy equipment and getting trees up and cutting trees down and digging out gravestones and putting them back up and... And that wasn't church, or I mean, I didn't pull that together. I just, I heard about it. I heard that people all organized in her small group and everything else and rallied other people, and they did it. So, you know, our community is the smallest African-American population per capita of any county in the state of Florida. So African-Americans in our community feel marginalized. They feel they have very little clout in our community. And, and I remember hearing that, and, 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 and that woman whose mother was able to be buried there, and, uh, and thinking, you know, I remember thinking that, 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 that folks in our church did that. I remember thinking, you know what? That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to be in that church. I didn't have anything to do with it. Folks did that. They were on mission. So here's the last word. Who's the mission team? Last of all, who's the mission team? Who are the menders? What does it say in this passage? And that day declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame, and the driven away, and the afflicted, and the cast off. There's the menders. That's who the menders are. The menders are the people who most need the mending. The menders are those who people have been mended themselves. You've experienced gospel mending, so you become the menders of culture. So we mend with humility. We don't bash politicians. We don't bash the media. We don't bash each other. Because who are we to bash anybody? We're the people who need mending the most. We're the menders. Christ Church in town, you are called to be the menders. There's an amazing 
um, documentary on, on Netflix. It's called what, The White Helmets. Have you seen it? Any of you seen that? It was an Academy Award winning documentary. It shows the bombing in Syria. And the White Helmets are the, are the guys in Syria that whenever the government drops bombs and barrel bombs on the civilians, they rush across the town and they dig in the rubble and they try to dig out. So there's just a little documentary you should watch even, I mean, a little um, a trailer, just two and a half minutes, you ought to watch it. If you're pastors, you ought to play it in your um, church because it shows them the bombs going off and it shows them running out the door with their white helmets on to, 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 the, to the brokenness. And you know the music that's playing behind as they run? Very haunting version of, oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. White helmets have been killed, many of them, in the conflict there because they run into the worst of their cities and the worst of their communities. This is our calling. We're the menders uh, in this world. I just got to tell you, um, in conclusion, you know, my... Um, not many years ago, my um, daughter was dating a guy and, uh, and I got the phone call. You know what phone call I'm talking about? The phone call from the guy who's dating my daughter. And he's gonna ask me if, uh, if he can marry her. And, uh, and so he, he spits it out. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I said, here's the deal. You know, I'm not trying to be tough or, or macho or anything. It's just a very simple equation here. You take care of my daughter. I'm your best friend. Um, you don't, then, then I want you to watch the Godfather movies a couple times just to get, <laughs> get, get a picture of, picture the way it rolls from here. And, um, and that should be the end of the discussion. I mean, at that point, uh, a respectful future son-in-law should say, yes, sir, got it, deal. And, uh, and yet he actually said to me, well, I, I'd like to make a comment. <laughs> You're in no position. This isn't a negotiation. He said to me, um, he said, well, let me ask this because I got to know when you say take care of your daughter, I got to clarify what that, what that means because when um, we get married, we intend to move to the worst part of town. We intend to live in the most blighted neighborhood. And that's where we're going to put down stakes and try to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So when I move your daughter to a dangerous, blighted neighborhood, will you consider that taking care of your daughter? What? <laughs> this is a simple equation. You begged me for the daughter and... and uh, and, you know, God gave me a, um, an answer that, that I'm not sure I owned in my heart at all. Um, but God caused me to say something that day. And I said to him, Eric, if you don't take my daughter to that neighborhood, then you're not caring for my daughter. Because the greatest danger to my daughter and to my grandchildren is the materialistic North American culture. Um, and if you don't push against that uh, in their souls, then you're not taking care of them. Brothers and sisters, um, you know what enables us to be menders? You don't have to make your life about you. You know why you don't have to make your life about you? Because somebody else made his life about you. Somebody made his life about you. 
He came into this world to seek and save you and mend you. And because he has, you can join him on the mission. You know, today they say that this church is no longer going to be a mission church. That's, that's the church words. It says it ceases being a mission church today and becomes a, you know, a church church. Oh, may it never be so. May Christ church in town always be a mission church. For as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. Amen.